Welcome to Highlands Church Audio Sermons. Today, November 15th, 2020, we continue our series titled, The Ideal, a study in Colossians. Today's sermon, The Ideal Evangelist, will be taught to us by Pastor Thomas Slager out of Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Enjoy. We've been talking about the ideal, and typically when we talk about an ideal anything, something comes to mind. Right, if we talk about the ideal restaurant, maybe you have an idea. Maybe for you it's sushi or steak. For me, it's a combination of pizza and tacos. Like that restaurant needs to be there. I don't know why there's not a pizza and taco joint. Uh, maybe it's the ideal date. Maybe for, for some of you it's a walk at sunset and then a gondola ride where your spouse or boyfriend, girlfriend serenades you. Um, or it's just a game at a sports bar. Uh, maybe it's the ideal home. Maybe your ideal home in your head has like the white porch wrapped around it. Um, or you would rather live like in a tower at Scottsdale Quarter and that is your ideal home. Or the ideal vacation for some of you, maybe it's the beach. For you, maybe it's the mountains. Um, all of those are pretty subjective. Right, but what we're talking about in the Bible, we're not talking about subjective things or speculative things. We're talking about scriptural things. Okay, so when the Bible talks about the ideal, this isn't necessarily something we want to argue about. Maybe we still have a different idea of what that looks like. We've talked about the ideal self. You probably have an idea that comes to your mind about the ideal self or the ideal work. We've talked about the ideal calling, the ideal reputation, the ideal family. All of these different ideas come to our heads when we're talking about the ideal. Something similar probably happens to you this morning as we talk about the ideal evangelist. The ideal evangelist, for some of you, you start thinking, man, the late Billy Graham. Like, how do you, can you get better than that? Right? Like, or maybe it's the different guy or the gal you watch on TV and they're televangelist things. Or uh, the ideal missionary, you start thinking about the people who've traveled the world or the people who run missions organizations or the people who go to Africa or to Asia or the team here that goes down to Mexico so frequently to do missions work. And, and that becomes this like unattainable, that's what though, those are missionaries, those are evangelists. But what we see in the text this morning in Colossians 4, we're evangelists. You're an evangelist. You're a missionary. And what we're going to see this morning um, is 10 different principles arise to help us be the evangelist that God has called us to be. So as I said this morning already, Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Let me read it, and then I'll pray and ask for God's help, and then we'll dive in to see what he has for us today. Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, says this. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Let me pray. God, though it's my voice that's been heard, we recognize this morning it's your word that's been spoken. And this morning we trust your word as the authority for our life. God, more than just the word that we trust, we trust you as the authority for our life. So this morning we come before you asking you, Holy Spirit, to open our eyes so we can see something in this passage and maybe see something in our life we haven't seen before. You'd open our ears so we can hear you speak, maybe in a voice we haven't heard. You'd open our minds so we can know you more, open our hearts so we can respond with love. 
And as a result of everything, that you would empower us to open our mouth to declare the good news of the gospel, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Would God, would you do those things for your glory and your glory alone this morning? We ask all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Christians are evangelists. We are. Christians by nature are evangelists. What does that mean? Well, the first part of that word, evangel, means good news. Good news. Evangelism means sharing the good news. Evangelist is someone who shares the good news. Okay, so evangel, good news. Evangelism, sharing the good news. Evangelist, someone who shares the good news. So what's the good news? What's the good news? That's what we need to figure out because if, if evangelism starts with good news, what's the good news? The good news is this. It starts with bad news first. Okay, the bad news is this, that you and I were born sinners like separated from God and not just like sinning a little bit, like we crave it. It's what we want. We desire bad things so we do bad things and those bad things just keep on separating us from God. So as a response to that, we try to do good things. Right? If the bad things separate me, then surely I can do some good things to kind of catch up to God, and then maybe I can catch myself up enough to where God will be like, no, yeah, you're a cool guy, you're a cool girl, like, we good. doesn't work like that. Okay, we can't do good things, so God had to do a good thing. The good thing he did, he sent his son to live a perfect life that you and I couldn't live, right? Because we realize the bad things, so we try to do the good things, but there's not a, a good enough amount of good things that we can do to kind of gain favor with God. So he sends his son Jesus to live a perfect life. Perfect life, never sinned. But then he still dies. He's crucified for our sins. So he lives the perfect life that you and I can't live. Then he dies the death that you and I deserve to die because there's punishment, punishment for poor actions. Right? And then the Bible says, if I trust in him, if I trust that his perfection becomes my perfection, that his righteousness, his goodness can become my goodness, then I can have a right relationship with God. The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, not a way, a truth, a life. It says no one comes to the Father except through him. So by trusting in Christ that he lived the perfect life, that he died the death that I deserve to die, that he rose from the dead to defeat death, because that's another thing you and I can't do, then I can truly live with him. I can live with him now in this life, and I can live with him for eternity. That's the good news. So evangel, good news, that's the message. Evangelism, sharing that message. Evangelist, someone who shares that message. And what we see in today's text, all having to do with evangelism, is how we can share that message better. How we can share that message better. So there's two main buckets. Think in buckets with me here. The first bucket is prayer. And within that bucket, there's five different principles that the Apostle Paul lays out in this letter that apply to prayer. Then there's a proclaim bucket. And within that bucket, there's five other things that have to do with our proclamation. So first, we'll talk about prayer, because evangelism has to start there, and then we'll move to our proclamation and, and find some better ways for us to do that. So the first thing, pray. How do we be an ideal evangelist? We pray. Verses two and three say, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Five principles mentioned just right there inside the prayer bucket. And I know that's a lot of things. Okay, so if you're thinking, man, this morning, I'm gonna take all 10 to heart and just knock it out of the park, you're crazy. Okay, we can't do 10 things. We just can't. 
So this morning, my encouragement to you would be maybe pick a couple things. Maybe pick one thing from the prayer bucket and one thing from the proclaim bucket, and let's do that. And if we do that, we'll be more successful and we'll be better equipped to be a better evangelist. The first principle in our prayer bucket is be steadfast. Be steadfast. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Be steadfast means firmly fixed, not subject to change. Firmly fixed, not subject to change. Now, I wish God would have given us like a direct, clear thing here. Like, what does steadfast mean? Can you like give me a to-do list so I can check those boxes along the day so I can make sure I'm doing enough? All right, make sure you pray in the morning. You do that. Good morning, God. <laughs> check. Pray at breakfast. God, thanks for these eggs and the chickens from which they came. <laughs> you check that thing. You can pray before lunch. Sweet, God, thank, thanks again. He doesn't give us that. He just says, steadfast. <laughs> Unchanging a lot. Romans chapter 12, verse 12 says, rejoice in hell and hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I thought steadfast was hard, and now he says be constant in prayer. Can any of us really honestly say that's like a descriptive of our prayer life? Constant, always? Like from the moment you woke up this morning until now, you've just been constant, never ending. That's hard to do. That's hard to do, but that's, that's the call here. Be steadfast, unwavering, unchanging, fixed. See, because what we do, like we have great intentions, right? Like I set my alarm early. But I mean, it was a late night. So I snoozed. I could pray, I could pray later. That's fine, right? If we want to be better evangelists, if we want to be ideal evangelists, it's going to take um, this ongoing communication with the person we want to talk about. Okay? If we're not talking with Jesus, it's going to be hard to talk about Jesus. This is where this begins. Constant communication with the one we want to communicate about. May each of us be better prayers when it comes to our evangelism. Second thing he lays out, be watchful. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Being watchful. This sounds a lot like Jesus. Recall the story. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night that he's arrested and he talks to his disciples. In Mark chapter 14, he says this, watch and pray. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. I want to do the right thing. My spirit is there. I want to honor God. I want to please God. I want to be steadfast in my prayer. I want to do all the, I want to do right things. I want to pay attention to what's going on around me. But then there's this other part of me, like this sinful, fleshly part of me, that like keeps me from doing the things I want to do because I still want to sin, right? And then the things I don't want to do in my spirit, it's like my flesh is like, but I want to do that. So I do it. So I'm trapped in this like hating the things that I, that I don't want to do because I do them. And the things I want to do, it's like I hate it because I can't do them. And he says, pray and be watchful, pay attention so you will not enter into temptation. This weird thing happens when I'm so caught up in just communicating with God, it's like the things I crave in the world suddenly fall by the wayside. Okay, and that doesn't mean like I just never want to sin again because now I talk to Jesus a lot. No, but when you're caught up in that communication and constant prayer, 
You're more inclined to please God, to walk with God, to talk with God than you are to go get caught up in the things of the world. We need to be watchful, pay attention to our life, pay attention to what's going on around us. First Thessalonians 5, 4 through 6. It says, you're not in darkness, brothers, for that day, this is the day that Jesus returns to bring us all home, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day, we're not of the night or of the darkness. So let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Pay attention to what's going on around you. Pay attention, and not just in the news. Okay, that's a good place to figure out what's going on in the world, but don't like be glued to the tube. Don't do that. Pay attention here. Pay attention in your own circle. Pay attention in your home. Be watchful. Know what's going on around you in your home. Here and then near. Know what's going on in your community. Pay attention to your community. Here, near, and then also far. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. Because when we're watchful, here, near, and far, that actually informs us how we ought to pray. Be constant in prayer, being watchful in it. The third thing says, be thankful with thanksgiving. Do all of those things with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says, rejoice always. That's another hard thing. Pray without ceasing. That's another hard thing. Give thanks in all circumstances. Yet again, another hard thing. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. What I love about this verse, this is just something I realized this week, it doesn't tell me to give thanks for all circumstances, but tells me to give thanks in them. Okay, it doesn't mean I'm thankful for what's going on in the world. It doesn't mean I'm grateful for things that are happening around me, but it means I'm grateful and thankful to the one who has control over all of it. See, because one, one person's blessing can be another person's curse and we have like conflicting prayers, right? You ever wake up in the morning and it's kind of gloomy and rainy and you're like, God, come on, man. I'm supposed to play golf this morning and now this? It's hard enough. Can't you wrap that up and change it? <laughs> Meanwhile, you have another person, they wake up and they see the clouds, they see the rain, they're like, God, thank you. Like, this is what my garden needs. My garden needs to be watered. Okay, well, which guy's right? Well, we're, we're praying and giving thanks and asking God to change for the wrong thing, right? We're not thankful for the circumstance, we're thankful in the circumstance. So regardless of what's going on in our life, God calls us to thankfulness. God, I might not like it, you're in control. God, I don't like this thing, it's freaking me out. The things that scare me, God, they don't scare you. I did not see this coming, but God, guess what? It's part of your plan. We're thankful, not for the thing, but we're thankful in the thing regardless of what's going on. This is where evangelism starts, with gratitude and thankfulness that God's got it. Fourth, pray for others. He says, hey, at the same time, pray for, all, pray for us too. While you're talking to God, I'd appreciate a shout out. Could you mention me? A lot going on over here. Don't just be praying for you. Why? Because the mission, right, we're evangelists, we're missionaries. The mission is bigger than just one person. Why? Because other people in our life are able to influence people that we'll never be able to influence. There's people in their, cir in their circles that we'll never have an opportunity to meet. There's people in their circles and their sphere of influence we'll never be able to have a conversation about Jesus. But they can. 
So we pray for them. We don't just pray for us. We don't just give thanks for us. We, we pray for those in our life. We pray for our brothers and sisters that God would use them in a mighty way in their life. And not just to share the gospel, but God would use them in a mighty way in the life of their spouse and in the life of their friends and the life of their kids. We lift each other up because the mission is bigger than just one person. Everyone needs to be doing their part. If we're gonna do this whole proclaim the gospel to the end of the earth thing, that's gonna take everybody. That's gonna take all of us doing the job that God has given us to do. And because it takes a big team, we ought to be praying for others. We ought to be praying for the team. He also says to pray for opportunities. In verse three, he says that God would give us an open door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, the gospel, that Christ is in you, that we are in Christ, and that Christ has defeated everything. He's, he's already won the victory. That's, that we're praying for opportunity. And remember, Paul's writing this from prison. He's talking about Jesus, he gets thrown in jail, and his prayer request, if it's me, and I'm writing home, can you pray that I get out of this place? I don't want this, this is not comfortable, this is not fun. That's not Paul. He doesn't pray for comfort, he doesn't pray for a different circumstance, he just says, could you pray that there's more opportunity for me to talk about Jesus? Now there's big opportunities for this to happen, there's small opportunities and there's all opportunities. Big, small, and all. A big opportunity, my friend Josiah was in um, Cabo last weekend for a health coaching thing. And Sunday, Saturday came around and they're thinking, man, there's, we don't have a church, we can't really go to church, what should we do? And he felt like God was opening a door for him to have a church service on the beach. So I started talking to some people, a guy who worked at the hotel, got off work at midnight, went and found a guy with a guitar. Turns out a guy on the trip was also a worship leader. So that guy did the worship, Josiah did the preaching. 70 people showed up to church on a Sunday morning, but the way the building is built, it was like this echo chamber. So there were hundreds of people around the pool hearing the gospel preached who weren't totally sure where it was coming from. <laughs> right, imagine that. You're sipping on a margarita and you're like, God? <laughs> Josiah. <laughs> but he, that was the door. That was the opportunity. So what's he do? Man, he shares this message, shares the gospel. One guy gives his life over to Jesus and is baptized right there on the beach that morning. That's a big opportunity, okay? That's like one of those big, let's host a church service out of nowhere with a couple of hundred people. Like, that's a big thing. But there's small things that happen every day. Right, you have a friend going through a tough time, like life is really chaotic. You know who Jesus is? He's the Prince of Peace. Life can be chaotic. You know whose yoke is easy, whose burden is light, who can bring some peace into your life? My King. Jesus can do that. You have a friend going through some identity crisis, right? So wrapped up in their status or their stuff or their sin, like I am what I've done and I am what's been to me. And the gospel, the gospel says contrary to that. The gospel says Jesus loves you right where you're at. The gospel says that's not who you are. The gospel says you don't need to clean yourself up to be in a relationship with Jesus. The gospel says Jesus died for you and wants you now. You are enough. He loves you, he wants you. We encounter situations like this daily with our friends and our friends. There's big ways, Cabo at the beach. There's small ways, conversation with a friend. There's always, what am I that? Another great time to share the gospel is when you're eating pizza. That's a great time. When you're having pizza with a friend and you're enjoying a meal, that could be, a, that could be an open door. You're having pizza, or tacos, or burgers, or anything. Another great time, when you're at the gym. 
right? Phoenix is a pretty big place, but when you start visiting the same places frequently, guess what? This big city gets pretty small. And you start seeing the same people, God has given you an opportunity to influence those people. Maybe it's at your golf course. You play in the same men's league with just similar guys very frequently. That's always. For me, it's my men's hockey team. That's an intentional area where I want to share the gospel with people. And God's already been doing some cool things with it, which is fun. There's big ways, Cabo, small ways, chat with a friend and always. I don't know, what are you doing later? That could be a way. There could be an open door there for you to share the gospel. So we should pray for opportunities to share this good news, this good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done and what life with Jesus, Jesus can look like. That's five things in the prayer bucket. Second bucket, proclaim. So our evangelism starts with prayer, but then leads to proclamation. Five more principles. He says that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so you may know how you ought to answer each person. He starts with clarity, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. We should be clear. We should be clear. And I'm sure you've had some type of interaction with someone where what they're saying just doesn't make sense to you. You ever go to the doctor and they use, and this isn't against doctors, they use like the biggest words and you're like, you're gonna have to dumb that down. I don't know, I don't know what that means. I hate to tell you, you, you have a sphenopalatine ganglion neuralgia. Oh, oh, is it bad? It's just a brain freeze. You should have said brain freeze. No, sphenopalatine ganglion neuralgia. Well, what? just say the easy thing. Make this understandable for me, doc. But we do this in the church. We've got some big fancy words for stuff. Okay, and there's nothing wrong with the big fancy words. In a moment here, we're gonna see Paul talk about non-Christians as outsiders. And this isn't meant to be like a derogatory us versus them type of thing. It's just the reality of the situation. There's people who get the lingo and understand how Christian like talk works, and there's those where we're speaking foreign languages. Okay, so if you want to have a conversation with me about Calvinism and Arminianism or um, free grace and middle mollified Molinism, like I'm happy to talk about that. If you want to have a conversation, are you pre-trib, post-trib, a-trib, no-trib, pan-trib, pantry-trib? Like I'm, I, I don't know. Are you pan? Ah, are you this? Are you that? What's Eutychianism? All of those words clarify the discussion to me that we're about to have because I speak that language. But when speaking with people who are outside of the church, we should use language they understand. You know, it says in the letter to Rome, Romans chapter three, verses 23. Letter? Who's writing letters? Who's, where's Rome? Or you could say, you know, God actually says we're all sinners. I just said the same exact thing in two different ways. God tells us if we, if we confess with our mouth that he is Lord and we believe in our heart that God actually raised Jesus from the dead that I can be saved and I can have life with Jesus forever. You know, it says in Romans chapter 10, verses nine and 10, 
We don't need all the lingo. Speak with clarity. Simplify. Make things more understandable for people who don't speak our Christianese. We ought to be clear. We should also be wise. Be wise. It says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Why? Because the outsiders are watching how insiders live. Okay, not only do we proclaim the gospel with our speech as we should, but the way we live is a proclamation of something. People are watching. Does our walk match the talk? Or do we totally detach those things? Right, Christian on, I'm Christian on Sunday. Okay, Monday through Saturday, that's my time. People are watching. Does the way we live our life validate the message we proclaim? Or do those two things contradict each other? We should live in such a way where our talk is backed up by our walk. He also says to be urgent. Verse five, he says, making the best use of the time. Making the best use of the time. Now this doesn't mean like set a timer and fly through that gospel presentation, baby, because you only got two minutes. There's nothing to do with that. But this has live with a sense of urgency all over it. You ever played that game charades? You know the little hourglass that comes in the game of charades? Charades would be way more fun if that hourglass was not in there because that is the most stressful part of that game. Right, you flip the thing over. <laughs> Tree, yeah. <laughs> Pizza, yeah. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you start running out of time and you realize like, you, you can't put the sand back in. And now you're like, okay, we really gotta pay attention here and focus because I gotta draw this, that, the other thing so I can get as much done with the limited time remaining. That's urgency. That's urgency. In the game of basketball, there's a shot clock. Why? Urgency. You can't just like hang around. You got to go get stuff done. I learned this last week. There's a, you can Google this later if you want to find out when you're going to die according to the internet. Um, this, is, this is my shot clock. I, I found on, it's a death clock. That's, I, I, don't know, I hope this isn't right, mostly just because it's kind of insensitive, but it says, based on our calculations, Thomas Slager will die on Friday, my wife's birthday, July 11th, 2077. So I have 56 years, seven months, 26 days, 10 hours, 41 minutes, 35, 34, 33, 32, 31, 30, like we're running out of time. We're running out of time. Once that hourglass thing gets tipped over, we don't get to put the sand back up. Okay, I have less time to live now than I did five seconds ago. I have left less time to live now than I did yesterday. We should live our life with a sense of urgency. I sat with a friend on Wednesday night and she passed away Thursday morning. And then Thursday we went to a funeral for my wife's aunt. Being around death has a way to kind of like give you a sense of urgency because you realize, man, I don't have, my, tomorrow's not promised to me. How much time's left? I just know I'm running out of time. We should have a sense of urgency, not wait for the next time to share the gospel. There might not be a next time. Do it this time, do it now. Because someday our life 
will end, or someday our friend's life will end, and someday Jesus will come back. Once any of those things happen, time's up. There's no more opportunity. We need to live with a sense of urgency when it comes to evangelism. We need to be ready to share the good news that God has given us to carry. We should be urgent. He also tells us to be gracious and winsome. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Gracious, don't be a jerk. Be nice. Be gracious. John chapter one says, Jesus came full of grace and full of truth. Not 50-50, 60-40, 75-25, all of both. 100% grace, 100% truth. Now Christians, um, with the goal of being winsome and the goal of being likable, we tend to be really gracious, but then don't tell the truth. Jesus did both. We can tell the truth in such a way that it's gracious to those we communicate with. He says, seasoned with salt. It's like, be salty and not like, that guy's salty, not like a crass pirate. I don't mean that. It doesn't mean that. It's a winsome attitude. Okay, and I understand people won't like Christians when Christians share the gospel. That's what Jesus says. Remember, if they hated you, it's because they hated me first. But when it comes down to how we conduct ourselves, how we carry ourselves, how we communicate with the world, people shouldn't have anything against our character. We should have something winsome about us. There should be something about our life that people see it and they're like, that's a pretty great guy. That's a pretty awesome girl. And people won't always like it if we talk about Jesus. But as far as our character, our character should be incredibly winsome. Last thing, we should be personal. We should be personal. It says that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So you may know. 1 Peter 3.15 tells us to always be ready to give a response for the faith we have in Jesus, right? We should know. We should be ready. We should know how to respond if someone asks us questions about it. And he says we should know we ought to answer each person. We should be personal. And I don't mean like get up in their business and get all up like in their grill. I don't, I don't do that but we should know them. We should care about them. Remember, people don't care about how much you know till they know how much you care. Do you know them? Do you love them? Are you seeking to understand them so that you can share the gospel with them? In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, this is the apostle Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. He says, for though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself was not under the law, that I would win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, so I could win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them and its blessings. I, I love Paul's sense of responsibility here. It's not the outcomes. He has no control over the outcomes, but he has control over his actions. Right? All things to all people by all means. That's his goal. I'm going to do whatever it takes. The outcome, 
I might save some. I'm gonna do whatever it takes in my life to see people come to Jesus. As far as if they come to Jesus or not, that's not up to me. That's up to God. He's got that figured out. What God's calling us to is just commit to it. How far are we willing to go to see people get saved? What types of things are we willing to like we actually don't like in order to earn a voice into someone's life? How far are we willing to go? For him, he was willing to do basically anything but sin. Anything but sin he's willing to do in order to reach someone with the gospel, the good news of Jesus. We are evangelists. We are missionaries. It's who we are. If you read the high priestly prayer, it's in John 17, Jesus praying um, shortly before he goes to the cross. One of the things he prays for, he says, God, I'm not asking that you take these people, these disciples, these followers out of the world, but he says this, as you send me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And if you and I are sent, that means we're on mission. So if you are a follower of Jesus, Christ has sent you. You are a missionary, you are an evangelist. So where? I'm not going to Mexico or Asia or, or anywhere. Where? How many of you live like near Desert Ridge area? Christ has sent you to Desert Ridge to be a missionary. How many of you live like McCormick Ranch area, just somewhere up by the mountains? God has sent you as a missionary. Rio Verde, anybody in Rio? God has sent you as a missionary to Rio Verde. Anybody from out of town, God has sent you there as a missionary. There's no accident that you're in the place you're in. You have a job? Just as you sent me, so I am sending them. God has sent you as a missionary. And I know that gets complicated, and you kinda gotta figure out where do I speak, where do I not speak, what conversations do I have to maintain influence, and there's some tricky things you've gotta figure out, but you can figure those things out. Talk about yourself, you know, I am a person of faith. I'm a person of faith. Someone wants to ask you about that, they ask the question, you go ahead and respond. How many of you go to Pinnacle High School? Or PV, or Shadow, Cactus, like anywhere? God has sent you as a missionary to that school. You don't gotta sign up for anything. You don't gotta fill out an application. You're there, God sent you. We are missionaries. So what do we do? We pray, and then we proclaim. We pray, and then we proclaim. Growing up, we lived across the street from a church, and on the way out, on the back of their welcome signs, they had this thing printed. It said, now entering the mission field. Highlands, that's my prayer for us is that we would use this time to kind of get revved up and we'd get jazzed and we'd encourage each other. But then when we leave, we would view it as, man, we're entering the field. Here we go. My neighborhood, that's my mission field. My workplace, that's my mission field. My gym, that's my mission field. My hockey league, my golf league, whatever it is, that's my mission field. My school, that's my mission field. My extracurriculars, that's my mission field. God has sent each and every one of us. So may we embrace that mission and then go in the mission field. So this week, let's pray. 
Let's pray steadfastly with a watchful eye, with thankfulness and gratitude for who God is. Regardless of the situation, that we be thankful for who God is. May we pray for our brothers and sisters and pray for opportunities to share the good news of Jesus. Then may we go and proclaim. May we proclaim with clarity as we ought to. May we proclaim it with our life. Would we proclaim it with a sense of urgency? May we proclaim it with grace. And we do so, may we do so in a way that's personal. That's a lot of things to try to do. My encouragement to you again, pick one or two of them. Latch on to that and see what God does with it this week. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Um, we are gonna ask for God's help as we always do. Um, just ask for his help in directing us that maybe God would give us a specific person, that maybe uh, the face of a friend would come to mind or a name would come to mind, maybe a neighbor, a relative, uh, a friend, a colleague, a classmate, a teammate, whatever it might be. Um, I'm gonna ask God to show that to us and then my encouragement to you is that if God gives you something, that you be faithful with it. That you would spend some time today and tomorrow morning getting prayed up and then as you enter into the mission field that you would proclaim the good news of who Christ is and what he's done for us. So God, I ask you just that. I ask that you would give us um, now, that you would give us the name of someone in our life. God, that a, a picture of someone's face would come to mind. God, we ask for opportunity to go and share the gospel with that individual. And we pray for courage to go and do just that. God, would you give us a willingness to become all things to all people that by all means you would save some of them. Would we do that for your glory? and your glory alone. God, I ask now that as we respond in worship, that we would feel your presence here moving on our life. God, that as we commit ourselves now to building our life upon your love, God, that we would live our life in such a way that people see that love and enter into a loving relationship with you. God, we ask that you would be praised, that you would be glorified, that you would be honored by everything we've said this morning, everything we've done this morning, that you'd continue to be glorified with our life. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, Amen. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he says, um, all authority has been given to me. All authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Then he says, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And then he makes this statement, and behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. So the one who holds all authority, that's the one we speak with. The one who holds all authority, that's the one we speak about. And the one who has all authority, that's who's with us even right now. So friends, this week as we go home and we get prayed up, okay, as we get a little jacked up and ready to go, may we enter the mission field of our life and then proclaim the good news of Jesus. So Highlands, that's my encouragement to you. Go pray, enter the field, go proclaim. We love you guys, love each other. We'll see you next week.